and then I might pivot to uh, another Soviet film. Well, it was actually it, it, it was a co-production of I think Yugoslavia, East Germany, and the Soviet Union. Um, All the lads, sons of the great. Bear, yeah. Well, it's, it could be it could be translated as she bear because it, like German nouns have gender, you know. But like I, I think it's usually translated as sons of the great bear. Okay. Cool. Uh, it's I. I think last time we did a film roundup, you mentioned a revisionist western. What, what was it? That the, the tall man or something like that? What was it? Oh, I'm not sure. See, I like a lot of revisionist uh, westerns. What, well. What? Yeah, this was this is a nineteen sixty six film. Um, that's it's a western. Um, okay, and it's the, the plot is basically about the U.S. government coming and re- wanting to um, resettle these Native Americans uh, uh, of, of the Lakota people. And okay, the main characters there. One one of their leaders, and it's it's a fantastic like you know the kind of action that you see in like say the Searchers or something. Only the good guys are the Native Americans just mowing down like uh, bad guy U.S. soldiers when the time comes. You know, uh, oh sweet, it's, it's great, um, and it sh- it does not shy away from showing the brutality of the U.S. Army at that time. Uh, committing genocide um so yeah just great film politically and really action-filled um fun stuff to be honest uh it manages to deal with quite grim subject matter but it's also fun (laughs) oh excellent i'll do um and then there's just one last uh soviet thing i want to mention Вся жизнь на тебя ушла. Я хотел отомстить, и все. Что он там задумал? Вдруг выстрелит? Um, this one's nice. Uh, it's on, you can find the full thing on YouTube because it's only ten minutes long. Uh, it's an animation from 1977 okay. that I think is it's. Th- the message is kind of, it's now kind of cliche. It's just like anti-war, but like, uh, whatever. It's it's a good message, and the animation style and and such I think is particularly well done and very interesting. It's called Polygon. Editor's note: the actual title appears to be Firing Range, but the video on YouTube is called Polygon, nineteen seventy-seven. And it's just basically like the the army okay. builds this tank that can uh, drive itself and operate itself, and it goes on a killing rampage of the people who are demonstrating it, because you know who could see that coming, right? Um, 
But like, yeah, it, it's it, it's mm. it's really fascinating. Like, it looks really pretty. Uh, it, it looks, it, it, yeah. Just check it out on YouTube. Polygon, nineteen seventy I watched the other night a film called uh, probably just a couple of things that I don't want to talk about too much. So I watched a film called Arlington Road a few nights ago, which is a film from 1999 and it stars Jeff Bridges and Tim Robbins. Jeff Bridges is this lecturer who's teaching a course on domestic terrorism. And um, (laughs) Tim Robbins is his neighbor who moves in. And, um, you know, he seems like a very nice bloke at the moment. But what do you know? Uh, Sorry, he seems like a very nice bloke initially. But what do you know? There's uh, more to Tim Robbins' character in this than what meets the eye. You know, and perhaps Jeff Bridges' character himself has some uh, areas of expertise, uh, perhaps academically, that might, uh, you know, inform him in dealing with his new neighbour. Um, but yeah, the, the the backstory is that Jeff Bridges' wife was killed by uh, domestic terrorists uh, at some right. point in a wait. It's like a Waco-style shootout they depict. This is all very much a film inspired by the 1990s US anti-government right-wing militia movements, which have kind of uh, disappeared in uh, since, I guess... George W. Bush got elected. The right got a bit of a taste for state power, I think. Um, sure. And for, so, so you still get you get like the anti-immigrant militias across the border, but you don't get as many of these survivalist types, or you, you know, kind yeah. of, um, you know, uh, what what's the guy who did the Boston bombing called again? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> not not the Boston not the Boston bombing. So shit, that was more recent. Uh, oh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. oh, um, fuck! It's on I the almost, tip of my tongue. <laughs> I almost said Timothy Treadwell, but that's Timothy, the, that's uh, McVeigh. That's the guy from McVeigh. That's it. Timothy Treadwell's the guy from Grizzly Man. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he didn't kill many people other than himself <laughs> no 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 he let the bear commit the act of violence yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there was a bear attack yeah yeah exactly but bear probably. terrorism bear terrorism oh, oh, oh no shit Domestic Sorry, i was bearism. gonna say only one victim but his girlfriend was killed as well yeah ah. fuck that guy did shit treadwell is gone The argument how wrong or how right he was disappears into a distance, into a fog. Yeah, so, I mean, what what was I saying? Arlington Road, it's okay. It's it's interesting to see a film about what it is. It's a pretty silly potboiler thriller. Yeah, it is just like, wow, this guy, Jeff Bridges, he's like obsessed with domestic terrorism and teaches a course about domestic terrorism and his wife was killed by domestic terrorists. <laughs> oh, what would, what would, 
how mad would it be, right, if a domestic terrorist moved in <laughs> next door to him? And their sons became best friends, and their son went off to like this fucking like militia training camp for the summer. <laughs> Sounds like the worst Incredible. sitcom setup ever. <laughs> that could have been the other approach they could have taken to it. Jeff Bridges could have also done that. He's a good comic actor. Winter kills. The search for a truth that could shake everything you ever believed in. Watched another film with Bridges in actually called Winter Kills. This is a 1979 film, and it I, I can don't think I've seen it. Ah, right. It, so I can add this to the long list of films I've seen that kind of has a theory about the Kennedy assassination, <laughs> and what happened. Uh, so tinfoil hats on. Okay, <laughs> it's kind of a joy having watched both. John Huston's performance in this film and Christopher Plummer's performance as John Paul Getty in All the Money in the World within a couple of days because they're both the most incredible, uh, miserly old, rich fuck chewing the scenery kind of performances you can imagine <laughs> with all this kind of hard ass wisdom about like oh you can't give your money away because then you'd have less money like, you know <laughs> we don't allow ladies in trousers in the dining area like it's just like you can't be nice to people because then you'd be a decent human being <laughs> they just like dispatch all these like hard truths but really just like another way of saying you should be a self Selfish cunt all the time. But yeah, it's basically um, Jeff Bridges stars as the non-political brother of a kind of JFK surrogate called Timothy Keegan, who's been assassinated. And this is 19 years later. Uh, Nick gets a tip, like some guy dies uh, saying, oh, I killed I killed the president. And so Jeff Bridges goes on after the uh you, you know looking for the true killers of his brother and what do you know he uh unveils a vast conspiracy <laughs> it's a good film man trust me it's entertaining they kind of play it as a comedy okay um not too broad but it's uh yeah it's a, it's like a funny film with good sort of action and conspiracy thriller beats to it quite hard to get hold of i could only find a dvd rip which is a big shame um apparently it was very it was a troubled production because it was financed by a couple of marijuana dealers who had only <laughs> previously produced like shitty exploitation films and now they were like okay let we're gonna do a proper film but then they like went bankrupt and all all kinds of stuff Hang on, let me look let winter kills I, there's a documentary on youtube about the film called who killed winter kills <laughs> yeah the film's original producers were wealthy marijuana dealers robert sterling and leonard goldberg who had previously worked on releasing the french softcore emmanuel films in the us many of the films so they just did like yeah sexy exploitation sexploitation yeah uh the production went so far over budget that it was shut down three times. Goldberg was murdered, most likely by the mafia, in the middle of production for failure to pay his debts. And Sterling was later sentenced to 40 years in prison for marijuana smuggling. <laughs> Ouch. But, just a bit, you know, bit of context. This film managed to bag the most balls-to-the-wall incredible cast. Uh, obviously, Jeff Bridges playing the lead, John Houston as the scenery-chewing wealthy father, Anthony Perkins 
Hmm. Uh, obviously well known for playing Norman Bates in Psycho. Sterling Hayden, another legendary actor from many, many great films from the 1950s, uh, when he was in films like The Killing by Stanley Kubrick and Johnny Guitar, to the 1970s. And um, you've got Eli Wallach, who was obviously in many great westerns. You've got fucking Elizabeth Taylor in a cameo. Um, they and, and they explain in the documentary that they actually they they had a special lens that makes everyone look thinner, which they used to shoot the Elizabeth Taylor scenes because it was sort of I guess in one of the fallow periods of her career when she was less glamorous maybe than she'd been in the past, and so right. um, the cinematographer uh, who's this guy, uh, what's he called, uh, Vilmos. Um, Vilmos Sigmund, who the the director fucking loves impersonating. The director's always doing this incredibly bored <laughs> accent for Vilmos Sigmund. He's like, Vil- uh, Vilmos said to me, Hey, what's this? I, I am Hungarian. And then, <laughs> and then you see an interview with Vilmos, and he's like this very quiet, understated speaking man. <laughs> but yeah, um, he, he, he tells about yeah how he basically shot. <laughs> he got a special lens with the old studios used to use to make Elizabeth Taylor look thinner and uh, they've also uh, got Toshiro Mifuni who is a legendary Japanese actor who and again I'm just going from the top of Wikipedia here so please forgive me <laughs> but he worked with Kurosawa many times on works such as Rashomon, oh, nice. Seven Samurai, The Hidden Fortress, Throne of Blood and Yojimbo so I mean just like having done those five films of Kurosawa would mean you had a pretty formidable filmography uh, oh yeah yeah, but he appears in the film and he had to learn his lines phonetically because he spoke no English. So there's a very strange stilted delivery from him, but it's uh, it's still, you know, cool to just have another kind of like a si- another situation where they were like, can we get this guy? And then they got him, you know? Yeah. 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 And you've even got, you've got like Ralph Meeker, another kind of like old ass journeyman actor there. Um was in Kiss Me Deadly uh, by, by Robert Aldrich, a film I really like. But yeah, that that film is um, it's it's just it's mad how many like veteran actors of like the old studio system they've got in there. But even just like I I don't know if I liked it as much as say Executive Action, but it's definitely a good one to add to the JFK conspiracy conspiracy thriller pantheon. They will pile falsehood on top of falsehood until you can't tell a lie from the truth, and you won't even want to. That's how the powerful keep their power. Don't you read the papers? I can't say I've seen any films in that genre. No, really? Well, not even JFK? Uh, no, not even JFK. Well, you, oh, man, you've got to watch JFK. Is it good? Uh, yeah, it's quite good. <laughs> it's a decent way to spend, like, what, three and a half hours? Like, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's Watchmen. Long, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, yeah, well, you know, I, I dedicated <laughs> three and a half hours last night to watching Watchmen. Just a matter of time, I suppose. Who watches the Watchmen? Sure. Me, <laughs> me apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and that was not rewarding. I, you know what? I kind no. of enjoyed Watchmen a little bit, but I uh, not towards the end. But in the final hour, I was like, yeah. oh, this is so <laughs> uh, like." <laughs> there's something about like with a lot of mainstream Hollywood films, I get into like the premise and stuff and the way they set up the characters and i'm like this is kind of cool and then the last hour just completely loses me where they're just trying to build up <laughs> attention um uh, it 
and Watchmen has one of those scenes that, like, you know, you could see in any of the Marvel movies now or yeah. whatever, where it's just like at the end they fire some fucking lasers at each other or something, and then they say a line, and then they fire and fire <laughs> another laser, yeah. and then they say a line, and the scene takes about fucking five hours, <laughs> you know, or it, it, even right. just the sheer length of the, the ending. And to be fair, I watched the ultimate cut so i don't know if, i don't know if zach managed to trim it a bit for the cinema zach Steiner, but like i think it was only a couple hours for the for the cinema okay not three hours i reckon it would have been really incoherent if they cut an hour and a half out of what i watched to be honest but uh it, it was pretty fucking difficult to pass at times anyway uh, i think it was like two and a half two hours 20 okay. so about an hour they cut mm. But even so, yeah, I'm pretty sure the original, the theatrical cut was considered fairly incoherent. Oh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, understandably. And as I've said to you, and like, as I wrote uh, in my dissertation, <laughs> like, yeah, this is pretty much, this is Zack Snyder's best film, in my opinion, like, definitely. Um, but that's not saying much. Uh, and that's probably just because the source material is quite interesting, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I liked it. I haven't read the book. it. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, not much to be said. The characters are all, of course, pretty unlikable, all right? Uh-huh. Yeah, they're definitely, well, I, <laughs> I, like, remember sending you a message, like, um, yo, 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 fucking Dr. Manhattan is just out there massacring loads of Viet Cong, like, fuck this yeah. imperialist dog, you know? <laughs> I was like, fuck this, this guy, <laughs> I, I am against the so-called nuclear deterrent anyway. The fact that you make it a fucking guy doesn't make me think this is more <laughs> yeah. of a benevolent force that it's that America should have. I don't know, that's that's see that's the thing. I haven't read the um I have the universally acclaimed source material, you know, so I I, I can't yeah. comment on that. But having seen the three episodes that have aired so far of Damon Lindelof's Watchmen series for HBO and this film I'm so fucking confused by the politics of it all um, because, you know, both violent vigilantes and the police um, generally tend to have quite yeah. reactionary functions in society. Um, oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I, I just sim- I find it difficult to pass, um, you know, who we're supposed to be rooting for and why, why they're set up in this particular way i guess i mean i find the new as a sorry as i recall the book does make it clearer that the masked crime fighters were not a good idea <laughs> like ultimately um let's not have vigilantes that are you know not yeah. answerable to anybody or anything you know uh, but, but yeah <laughs> Isn't isn't the plot like so? It imagines a world where masked vigilantes have been outlawed by the government. Yeah, but when were masked vigilantes legal? <laughs> well, there's always there's all those flashbacks, isn't there? Uh, uh, but I get what you're saying. I guess, I guess yeah. surely it would have always been frowned upon to go and commit like you know wanton acts of violence in a disguise that means you can't be prosecuted. <laughs> Like that just yeah. that just sounds like kind of innately illegal to me. It sounds like the kind of thing you wouldn't need to amend the law because there'd be something in the law that might cover that kind of behaviour. It's been about five years since I've read it, but I do recall there being more backstory at I'm, least in the book. Uh, yeah. So 
I get you the premise is inherently silly, but that's kind of true for anything superhero related. I'm doing a cinema (laughs) sins kind of thing here, I guess, where I'm just like nitpicking and being like, well, that doesn't hold up when it's a kind of, it's a fantasy. So you you should take, kind of take it on its own terms. I guess probably seeing the Damon Lindelof series first has really confused me because the politics of the new HBO Watchmen series are completely fucking inscrutable. So basically, Right. Uh, the police in it are like it, it, Damon Lindelof has done interviews where he's like, you know, what about it? it it's about if uh, what if we, society had spent thirty years under a liberal regime? Uh, I'm, I'm just like, what, you don't know what you're talking. You mean reality? No, I'm pretty sure he used the word regime, um, and I I don't know what Damon Lindelof's conception of politics is. Like, does he think that regime has negative connotations? I tend to think that people you don't use regime to despite to describe a benevolent government. Um, does he think that because it's a regime that they have been in power for thirty years, following, of course, the unseating of Richard Nixon, uh, which I believe happens at the end of the original yeah. Watchmen, uh, that the Robert Redford regime has been in power via illegitimate means thirdly what does he think liberal means because in this (laughs) the police are essentially liberal in that they go after white supremacists all the time um that seems to be their main kind of function is the police are like um basically like anti-far action uh they put on masks and go out and um fucking um, I mean, those sound like pretty cool police to me. Well, they, they, I mean, I'm, what, <laughs> I'm just gonna go out on a limb there. That's kind of the problem, though. That's, I'm watching this and I'm just like, I just the whole the whole mm. premise for me it just feels like some just like some liberal cop apology well, shit but, to be honest. Uh, uh, all right, but not to defend any cops like around in the real world here today, but like I don't know, as Marxists, are we not in theory in favor of some sort of law enforcement? Uh, we are, so but, of, but yeah. we're not talking yeah. about a Marxist uh, alternative okay. reality. We're talking about uh, a Damon Lindelof okay. liberal alternative reality. And, and and again, I think this goes beyond the source material because this is about the the current series. Yeah, I don't even know like what the sequel... I, I didn't know there was a sequel. You, you, you know, you'll have like, to check uh, out the, the episodes but, that have yeah. aired so far. Um, yeah, so in, in the sequel, basically, like the police have had to go like undercover in in the, the police kept getting attacked by white supremacists so the police now wear masks um so the, uh they can't be detected um yeah i, I so right. like the police are basically superheroes in it <laughs> this, okay. is what I'm, this i think that's probably what didn't the police are all like super diverse and <laughs> You know, and and they've got really, yeah. really strong liberal values, and they're like I say, basically just like head smashing anti far, and um, yeah, I don't know. It just feels a bit like um, a liberal wank fantasy from somebody with no sure. with no analysis of state power. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll, I'll have to check it out to see what what exactly you're talking about. Yeah, so- sounds like a reasonable. Um, conclusion or whatever to draw (laughs) yeah Watchmen 
one of us died tonight. Somebody knows why. Somebody knows. Harry had been working for the government. Maybe it was a political killing. Maybe someone's picking off costumed heroes. John thinks that there's gonna be a nuclear war. What if that's why someone wants us out of the way? So we can't do anything to stop it. An attack on one is an attack on all of us. Um, have you seen any of the Purge films? I watched a bit of the, uh, I thought it was a pretty crappy uh, TV show. Mm. See, I've, I've not seen that. And I've actually not seen the first Purge film. But I've seen the second, third, and fourth. I saw it was it Purge Anarchy was mentioned on your list. Yeah, or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What, what, what do you think? You seen the first one and the first, second one? I haven't what, seen. What do you think of them? The first one and oh, you haven't seen the first. I haven't one. seen the okay. first one. I mean, I like Ethan yeah. Hawke. Maybe I'll give it a watch or something. But um, what I find interesting about the Purge films is how this like Michael Bay produced franchise basically gets progressively more political as it goes along. Um, mm. I think that the fourth film is probably the best. Um, so the Purge Anarchy, uh, I remember I watched because it, it's got like a fucked up American flag with guns in it, making, <laughs> uh, like making. You're like, oh, this will be for me. Yeah, I was like, okay, this will be kind of satirical or something, but it's not really that uh, satirical. Sure, that, that one. It's just a kind of that's just um, a kind of another survival story. So mm. uh, I wasn't particularly taken with the purge anarchy. But I felt like the Purge election year was a step in the right direction, which is like, you know, this woman. Again, I thought it was a bit of a liberal wank fantasy from people with no analysis (laughs) of state power. But basically, (laughs) this woman whose family were murdered by the Purge, by Purges, Purge people. uh, She's running for president against the new founding fathers who seem to have been in office forever. But again, they seem to be like, there seems to be, you know, it seems to be that she can, like, unseat them. They do have a democratic election. Right, right. But that, that doesn't stop them from trying to rig it. So they change the law so that incumbent incumbent politicians can be murdered on purge night. Uh, and then, <laughs> they, so they, you know, basically, like, they get a security detail to try and kill her. And then her guard, who's, like, a hard-ass professional guy, um... He's like, I like your politics. Uh, it turns out actually his family were murdered by the Purge as well. And he is out for revenge. So she's only got the one bodyguard she can trust. And then they go, they basically have got to go out. Um, what I liked about this film was that the characterization of a lot of the smaller characters was quite good. Like it's all about this like um, this working class uh, deli owner uh, played by... Uh, Mikelty Williamson, I think it says, like, um, and his young uh, Mexican immigrant uh, co-worker or employee. And it's it's just also about like their relationship and, you know, these two blue collar guys trying to get through the purge. And, you know, it's maybe not quite my vision of blue collar because it's a bit sort of American dream. This guy wants to protect Mm. his deli. The insurance. This is, I, I thought, a good plot point, actually. His insurance got 
hiked at the last minute before the purge. So right. he so he can't pay. He doesn't have the money for his insurance, so he decides he'll stay and guard his um, his deli during the purge. Uh, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like this was a, a a step in the right direction in that the dot the series has been gradually refocusing itself on working class people and minorities who, as far as I know, the series is always portrayed as the targets of the purge. Which, if people aren't aware, yeah. is like they legalize all crime for one night and loads of people get murdered, and that way they cleanse society. Again, I don't think that the ruling classes want to kill loads of the working classes yeah they want to the premise them. does strike me as a bit silly but nonetheless it's silly as fuck man it's really silly news 13 wishes anyone who is not participating in this year's purge a safe evening and for those releasing the beast a successful cleanse good luck but um the first purge which which came out in 2018 and was the first film not to be directed by James DiMonaco, the creator of the franchise, although he did write it. Um, I felt like this was the best film yet. So uh, this one is just kind of, it's like a black exploitation film. It's it's really good, man. It's just it's just about a bunch of guys in the hood trying to get through oh, yeah. the fucking. <laughs> try- oh well, it got negative reviews, but actually fifty five percent. It got mixed reviews, but I thought it was actually the best one yet. And it's got you know I thought the politics in this one were best. I thought it had the best characters yet. Oh, cool. And um, probably the best cast, even though it wasn't so, many actors. Kind of the opposite of my take on the TV show, which just had really bad... Like, I, it made efforts at having good politics here and there, but then at the end of the day, the overall antagonist was um, some blue-collar union guy. Okay. Who yeah, that was is like wanting to get revenge on loads of people who he felt had wronged him, <laughs> and it, he's and like he definitely goes too far and is not portrayed very sympathetically. Uh, there's like a little bit of nuance, but it's like the kind of nuance that you give to a villain, you know. <laughs> a plot line where like the union guys decide to all go on strike during the purge, and the good guys <laughs> in the film are like, "Hey, come on, guys, come on, help us!" And they're like, "Nope, we're on strike. Sorry, we won't lift a finger." Fucking unions, eh? Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> the purge. Not quite that, but definitely bad politics. As written yeah. by Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Pretty much right. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. I'll have to check out some of the films, at least, I guess. Unemployment rising across the nation. Stock market down another 2,000 points and the largest drop in its history. A subprime mortgage crisis worse than 2008. Neighborhoods across the country destroyed by an opioid epidemic. Protests across the nation. Americans are looking for a necessary change in these tumultuous times. Citizens growing angry as they face a collapsing economy. A new party is arising as a substitute to the Republicans and Democrats, calling themselves the New Founding Fathers of America. The New Founding Fathers rising in polls, with the NRA now endorsing them and supporting them financially with large donations to the NFFA war chest. Can the NFFA seize control? Will Americans fall for their fear-mongering? As your elected president, with my fellow new founding fathers we make this promise we will revive this country the american dream is dead we will do whatever it takes to let you dream again 
So I rewatched The Exorcist recently. Oh yeah, classic. It is classic, isn't it? Your mother sucks cocks in hell. Yeah, it's just like you can't really um can't really get better than that. <laughs> the... M- M- Michael Friedkin, is that right? William William Friedkin. William Friedkin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I'd say if you want a good companion to be Exorcist, there's this documentary that was on might still be on BBC iPlayer called The Fear of God, 25 Years of the Exorcist, and it's presented by Mark Kermode. Okay, and cool. Kermode's obviously like the biggest Exorcist fan in the world. He's lobbied mm. hard for it for many years and frequently described it as the greatest film of all time. Um, and in this film, he gets interviews with most of the key cast and crew. Uh, what's particularly interesting is the scenes where William Friedkin and William Peter Blatty, the author of The Exorcist and screenwriter of the film, they um, basically are interviewed together and they talk about their, um, uh, their their contrasting visions of the film. I thought an almost a moving, almost kind of heartbreaking moment in, uh, you know, the kind of risk that you take when you're a writer and somebody else directs your story uh, was when they're talking about scenes that were cut from the movie and there's one scene from towards the end that they that blatty is particularly still upset that um that freak can cut from the film and uh, yeah. and blatty explains his rationale which is just he says it it's very kind of sweetly and, and kind of innocently he's like i just didn't want people to think that the devil won right (laughs) so uh, you know you get the sense of you've got like the deep religious convictions of of, uh, William Peter Blatty which of course are part of what makes The Exorcist so good is that it's you know steeped in theology Um, and and of course the almost no pun intended devil may care attitude of Friedkin who uh who he, he's kind of like uh Friedkin's just like look they're a fucking idiot if they <laughs> if they didn't realize that Satan <laughs> lost yeah <laughs> <coughs> yeah um so that's that's really well worth a fil- uh, watch fear of god 25 years of the exorcist and uh it, sure. yeah. you, they also have an interview with the former head of the BBFC which is you know the ratings board in the UK uh, and mm. he explains he's like well you know the problem is not that the exorcist is a bad film it's that it's an extremely good film one of the most powerful films ever made and he basically explains that the film is so good that that's why he had to ban it on home video <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think it was banned on home video until uh, you know uh, for a very long time until several years after this film, which uh, this documentary right. in nineteen ninety eight. <laughs> Crazy, yeah, a good documentary if you want to see somebody uh, in the case of Kermode with a genuine love of the subject matter, um, you know, kind of putting together something that uh, brings together the thoughts of the, the key creative forces in that project yeah i mean i really like the film so i'll have to check it out
Where were we? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen The Omen. I, I didn't see it until recently. <laughs> what do you think of it? Uh, it was a couple of years ago now, but good film, I thought, horror-wise. Um, felt a bit like a... Always. Anyway, so yeah. Say your bit. I, I, I always like when a film manages to capture a sense of suspense and horror uh, in broad daylight. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah, yeah. true. And the omen does do that quite well. I felt it was a bit like the silly exorcist. Yeah, a little, yeah. <laughs> with that, that scene with the, win- the gla- window pane that beheads somebody. Just... Oh, yeah, that is, I mean, but, yeah, but see, you wouldn't get that kind of schlock in The Exorcist. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> but it's good. It's a, you know, it's a good film. and um, It's a little B-movie, isn't it? Like, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> but, I mean, but with a phenomenal performance by Gregory Peck at the centre. <laughs> yeah, which is just like wow, what a coup! They got they got a like the most incredible actor to to lead the film, um, and uh, what what I thought was kind of interesting um, about the sort of franchise in general, the Omen franchise is that mm. they don't I don't think anyone's done a sequel which focuses on his political career. Um, you, you know, um, on, oh, on yeah, Damien's because yeah. you know, Dame isn't Damien supposed to grow up to use the world, yeah. world of politics to, uh, you know, um, like change the world. Yeah. For, uh, yeah well, yeah. End, sorry, my bad. End the world. <laughs> well, that is a change, isn't it? Yeah, I get. Uh, yeah, so yeah, <laughs> well, well, precisely. Like, there's so much fucking material. Like, some shit lib in America could make a really broad satire of Trump using that premise, and I don't know why no one's thought of it. <laughs> so, see, look. Yeah. Okay, so in Damien, the TV series that aired from, uh, I, d- I d- Oh, right, it got cancelled after one season. Yeah, so it aired like one season <laughs> in like 2016. Um, he's a fucking war photographer in that for some reason. Um, the Omen, the 2006... Re- well, I guess he's a little kid in the 2006 re- remake. Um, uh, what about Damien Omen 2? What, what happens with Damien then? Damien... I don't know. I get. He, he seems. It's. I think he's a teenager in the Omen two. What about the Omen? Um, Omen three, the final conflict. Um, he's a CEO. Again, what? Why is he in business rather than politics? It's such <laughs> fertile ground for having the son of God. Sorry, the son of the devil in politics. I don't know, man. I. Yeah. Disappointed me. Of course, it doesn't shock me that he's a businessman. No, no, of course not. Of course not. Um, maybe it was like, hang on, when did they make the Omen 3? Oh, that was 81. Yeah, they were probably just like, well, you know, uh, it's all about business these days. We're out Reagan, yeah. <laughs> Good old Reaganomics. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Ambassador, welcome, sir. Good morning. Anything else you want to bring up? 
Um, I think we're only like two thirds through my list. <laughs> <laughs> what else um, is there? Quick fire. Well, I could mention. Um, I did rewatch a film called Rollerball from 1975. Okay. Uh, which was remade. I'm not sure in like the early 2000s. Again, not considered a good remake. Um, as is usual for this kind of stuff. But it's it's basically it's a science fiction sports film, which like mm. makes you think like, okay, that's <laughs> very seventies, I guess. Um, but it's actually got really really good politics. Um, it's anti-capitalist, anti-corporate, um, at least. Um, it's basically it's set in the future where these like five or six or however many companies like have divided up the world and rule it as sort of uh cap corporate states okay um and they have this extremely violent blood sport called rollerball that they use to keep the population in line All right. and it's about this star player who starts to like uh gain a celebrity uh, and a sort of lead sort of a revolt through that um and so yeah it's it's very much of its time because it's like you know like um the anti-corporate it's very very heavily about like corporations wanting to make everybody the same okay. which is not really how we see corporations so much these days but no. like uh it it still is uh, unflinching in that respect at least in that regard so that, um, that film it, was direct- it's a fun, violent flick. Sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's directed by Norman Jewison. Can I, <laughs> Ooh, I love that name. Can I read you my favourite bit from Norman Jewison's Wikipedia page? <laughs> Go on. Jewison is often mistaken for being Jewish due to his surname. <laughs> Here we go. This is a great bit. Due to his surname and direction of the Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> but he and his family are, in fact, Protestant. Good afternoon, sir. Are you Jewish? Do any of you Jewish by any chance? Excuse me, sir. Are you Jewish? <laughs> that, that is funny. <laughs> yeah. I was just uh, chomping at the bit to read that sentence out while you were explaining <laughs> the film. <laughs> I I like. Um, I'm pretty sure I've seen some films by Jewison though that are pretty decent. Oh yeah, In the Heat of the yeah. Night, solid. Moonstruck with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. That's a hilarious film. I haven't seen that one. I've seen Fiddler on the Roof, of course. <laughs> it's like legally required. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was I raised have, seen... on Fiddler of the Yeah, you merely adopted yes. Fiddle of the Roof. I was born into it, <laughs> molded by it. Matchmaker, matchmaker, <laughs> make me a match. I don't know any of the songs from it myself, unfortunately. I think that's like the only bit that I know. <laughs> <laughs> and the only other thing I'm remembering from it is like a scene in 
like 1905 in the in the city where like revolutionaries are getting shot down by soldiers. Okay. Oh dear lord. You made many many poor people. I realize of course it's no shame to be poor. But it's no great honor either. Uh. So what would have been so terrible if I had a small fortune? If I were a rich man, all day long I bid a bid bum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. If I were a bit of bit of rich, idle, diddle, diddle, diddle man. Uh, Jewison, Jewison directed a film called The Russians Are Coming! The Russians Are Coming! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Jesus Christ Superstar as well. Oh, fuck! Yeah. He directed Fist. Um, sorry, it, it's F. I-S-T, uh, which is an American drama film starring Sylvester Stallone, and it's like a Sylvester Stallone trade union drama. <laughs> i got to watch cool. this shit. It's like uh, lo- uh, loosely based on the Teamsters and Jimmy Hoffa, apparently. Yeah. I'm looking, uh, the poster looks pretty badass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's meant to be very good, but it's one that I'd just like to see. You know, kind of like Stallone's uh, s- sequel he directed to Saturday Night Fever. You made your choice and now my chance is over. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just Nick. Yeah. Wow. There's a St- Sylvester Stallone directed sequel to Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So no, it's that sounds sounds like an interesting movie. Um, I, w- I like it. Yeah. I liked it enough to watch it twice. <laughs> I watched the directorial debut of Woody Harrelson, Lost in London. You're fine. Maybe she hasn't even seen it. Well, that's true. I mean, maybe she hadn't seen it. Three women? Whoa! A jaguar! Uh-huh. Is a film, like, shot live. So it was live-streamed while they shot it into cinemas. <laughs> okay. uh, and it's, like, um, a based on a street based on a true story retelling of a particularly wild night that Woody Harrelson had in 2002, I believe, where he was exposed by the British tabloids as having had a threesome and his wife was angry at him um, and he ended up getting lost in London and, as the title would suggest, and (laughs) broke the cigarette, uh, broke the ashtray off the door of a taxi and was arrested. (laughs) um it's kind you know what i thought it was kind of funny i thought it was an audacious directorial debut um real like swing for the fences kind of thing because obviously it's a high concept thing all shot live um broadcast into cinemas as it happened um he manages to enlist a couple of his uh, special friends (laughs) famous friends uh for a start as owen wilson um, he has this kind of there's this running joke throughout the film, which is that Woody Woody Harrelson, no Owen Wilson's like, oh Woody, everyone knows I'm your best friend, and then uh, <laughs> uh, um, and then later on 
Owen Wilson describes Wes Anderson as his best friend, and Woody Harrelson's like, "Wait, I thought I was your best friend." <laughs> and Owen's like, "No, dude, I'm your best friend." <laughs> and it turns out, um, per a caption at the end of a film, Woody Harrelson, Owen Wilson, and Willie Nelson, who also cameos in the film, all live together on a tropical island. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not like other guy, other rich guy islands around, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I reckon it's more marijuana than paedophilia on on Woody Harrelson, <laughs> Owen Epstein. Wilson, and Willie Nelson's <laughs> island. Those three guys, Woody Harrelson is known to really, really, really love weed. Owen Wilson. I don't know if Owen Wilson is known to really, really love weed, but have you ever seen Owen Wilson in a film? <laughs> that man really loves weed. And Willie Nelson really... Yeah, uh, Willie Nelson. <laughs> really loves weed. <laughs> so, that, I mean, yeah, their island's probably pretty chill. But um, why do all these rich guys own an island? That's not cool. <laughs> So I uh, I've also watched a couple of Japanese films recently. Okay. Uh, I think I talked about one of them to you off off the podcast, uh, mm. I, I, but I don't think I mentioned the other. Um, I'll start with uh, Caterpillar. Okay. Um, that, that that was a cool film. Let me just get up the page. Uh, it's an, an adaptation page. of the the uh, beloved children's book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> if I say yes, then a lot of people are going to be very very confused. <laughs> Um, no, it's a, it is an adaptation of a book, but it is most certainly not a kid's book. Uh, it's a short story by Ido Gawa Ranpo called The Caterpillar as well. That was originally published in 1929, but it was banned by the military government at the time. Oh, that's a, that's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> I, I it... mean that sincerely. Like, it generally is a good sign when some art is subs- subversive enough to get banned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, basically, the plot is this... It, the film opens with this brutal rape scene um, oh. with a Japanese soldier. Uh, and then... Like the, it cuts to we find out that this soldier has, uh, he, he got all of his limbs blown off in some military action and has been sent home to Japan. Okay. Uh, uh where his like his birth family basically says to his wife, like, okay, have fun taking care of this guy. Uh, you're on your own. Um. <laughs> Uh, and so she's yeah left dealing with this war criminal who's got no limbs, <laughs> and there's a lot of like backstory where you find out that he used to like beat her up and stuff. Mm. Um, 
And so, yeah, this guy's just an all-around piece of shit. But all around town, everybody is, like, saluting him and, like, singing his praise as the mighty... They call him the war god. Um, okay. <laughs> because he's such a hero. And a lot of the film is, like, juxtaposing, like, the propaganda from actual, like, radio broadcasts. All right. With the realities on the ground of America taking island after island uh, and Japan totally losing the war and stuff. Um, and it's it's dark, but it's really, it, it, it's, 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 it's a very good, it's, it's very well made. It's a gripping story that will keep you just like, even though not much happens, it'll keep you wondering what's going to happen. Oh, and cool. uh, it's, it's a cool film. Check it out from 2010 directed by Koji Wakamatsu. Yeah. Wakamatsu. Okay. Um, who apparently, I think I looked into him before and yeah, he got his start basically directing what are called, I believe pink films, which are like, softcore Japanese porn okay. movies. Um, and he's and he's actually dead now. Um, oh. He died a few years back. It was only in his last like five or ten years that he started directing like what are considered very serious films. Non, non-pornographic um, work. It, pretty much. Although some of his earlier films are considered quite artistic as well as pornographic. Okay, well, yeah. I, I've not, not mutually exclusive categories. Yeah. <laughs> sure, exactly. Yeah, but um, interestingly, I haven't been able to find a copy yet. I really want to see it. He made a film um, about the Mishima incident, which, of course, oh. fans of the show will remember yeah, from our Paul Schrader episode. The real heads. Um, yeah, it's called Eleven Twenty Five: The Day He Chose His Own Fate, and it's some um, kind of dramatization of the events of that day, where uh, yeah, the, the guy tried to stage that coup oh interesting well mishima. i mean obviously the film mishima a life in four chapters it, it, it's you know a westerner's perspective on uh some a deeply japanese individual so you know it would be of, of course interesting to see a, a, a take on his life yeah by a countryman of his and also one of his recent films this wakamatsu um he directed in 2008, so not that recent, but like... Yeah, he, relative. Uh, United Red Army. Pictures. <laughs> Which is apparently about some militant... (laughs) Right. It's about some militant leftist groups in Japan back at the... It's based on true stories, apparently. Um, And... At first, I was like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still not sure exactly w- what take it's going to have. I haven't watched it yet, but I have managed to find a copy. Um, okay. But it was made in reaction to, there was a mainstream Japanese action film about this one incident. Uh, and it was, like, all from the cops' perspective oh, of, like, right. this this raid against this uh, leftist group, right? And, um, like, yeah. 
and anyway, this film, United Red Army, was made in response to that film. So I'm imagining it is at least more sympathetic to the leftists, even though I do understand they were like holding uh, hostages and stuff. So I don't know how sympathetic it is possible to be, but like, well, I'm going to watch it and find out anyway. Okay, um. <laughs> yeah, that does sound really interesting. In terms of East Asian cinema, um, I mean, as we talked about last time, I very into well i'm not not actually i haven't seen as many uh recently but i do like korean cinema quite a lot and i finally got around we did discuss it yeah (laughs) i finally got around to watching a film we mentioned on the last episode actually very Mm. soon after we recorded that episode i think but i watched i saw the devil which you've seen right yeah fantastic yeah great film it's a really really good film uh, although you know i was really really frustrated i was just like kill this fucking yeah. guy just fuck catch fuck this me. motherfucker well yeah. it's just the fact i get i totally get you know i watched the whole film i understand the main character's rationale for not immediately killing this dude and wanting to stretch it out however i would i will say he's not very good at it he keeps losing him. The guy, <laughs> the guy keeps killing more people, which makes his grief for his uh, his own wife seem very selfish. But he he doesn't care about getting yeah. other people killed by this psychopath. Um, right. All around, I was just like, "Look, mate, just fucking put a bullet in his head. Like you've fucked this up so badly. You're an absolute imbecile." <laughs> but good film, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great little serial killer thriller film. I said little; it's pretty long, isn't it? It's like an epic hours. movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, an hour, yeah. two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, but good stuff. Glad you caught up on that one. The other Japanese film I've seen recently, it was called. Well, I know it's called Harakiri. Okay. As in, like the like suicide act. Oh yeah. You know, like where you cut your intestines out. Mm. Uh, um, and it's it's a classic film from 1962, black and white, uh, directed by one Masaki Kobayashi. Okay. Uh, it's set. In the early 1600s, back in samurai times, uh, <laughs> and um, in back in a day, back in day, this film, out of all the films I've watched since the last roundup, I'm gonna give this one the golden crown of best film from like all perspective, like all around. Oh, like, uh, it's it's just it's very. Uh, I'm not. What's the phrase I'm looking for? It's. It it feels like I discovered like a new like Kurosawa or uh, Kubrick film. Oh, like, cool! It, it's that well made classic Hollywood kind of feel, you know. Even though it's obviously it's Japanese, mm. um, but like it, it's got all those elements. I also I found a a, a beautiful Blu Ray rip, 1080p, that Ooh. is just it's stunning. Uh, the the cinematography is fantastic the story is fantastic like the basic idea of the story is that 
for there's been this phenomenon recently at the time of the story that these samurai would go to their go to these warlords and they would ask if they could publicly commit seppuku or uh, harikari uh, on their property to gain their honor back because all the samurai had recently like it was a time of peace so right. they don't didn't need samurai anymore um but what these samurai had been doing recently was that they would ask permission to commit suicide and then they would actually the the the, the warlord would be like this is a peaceful time i don't want people killing themselves on my yard so why don't you take this nice little supply of money and some clothes and you can go away and you'll be all right um and so they're actually doing it without intending to kill themselves just to get a payoff okay. and so this one guy goes to this warlord, this one samurai goes, and he says, can I kill myself? Uh, and they say, okay, yeah, you can. <laughs> oh, um, wow, who could have seen that? <laughs> <laughs> and they make him go through with the act, even though he's like, ah, can I just not? Like, yeah. I'll, I'll come right back. Just give well, me two it, days. It I'll come very, right back. It would be very dishonorable if you went to your warlord and said, well, I'm going <laughs> to kill myself. And then you didn't kill yourself after he'd given you permission. You, yeah. You would have to well, kill yourself to make that right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, to be fair, this samurai was actually saying, can I come back in two days to kill myself? I promise I'll do it. Okay. But they weren't believing that he would come back because, you know, yeah, that, that's, yeah. yeah he's he's uh, grift. Also, they find out that the swords that he had on him were not actual swords. They were made of bamboo. Oh, right. Um, and so what they do... In their suit, in to sort of get revenge on this guy for trying to take advantage, is they force him to commit Harry Carey with his bamboo swords. So it's very, <laughs> very slow, very painful, um, and oh horrible. <laughs> that's um, pain, man. That would be a terrible way to commit Harry Carey. But that's only like the first like forty minutes of the film, and it's a flashback. <laughs> uh, and the actual plot is about this other samurai who comes to ask to k- kill himself, and he delivers this whole like uh, Rashomon like story that explains all the previous events and it becomes a story of class struggle in, in to a huge extent and how the, 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 the warlords, you know, uh, and the current samurai who are still employed, uh, may think that they're better than everybody else and that they can never fall to this level, but that ultimately you're one day away from being on poverty row and not being able to support your family and ultimately choosing to kill yourself or do anything to save your family, including kill yourself. Um, and it, like I say, oh my God, it's, it's an epic storytelling, truly masterpiece. Uh, five stars, best film I've seen this month. Five bags of popcorn. <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> you gotta watch them on cinema at the cinema by the way man like all the 10, <laughs> ten minute episodes all of them on youtube um but yeah but yeah man Will that do. sounds so good actually can you like remember to send me the name of that so i can seek it out and watch it myself yeah will do and this one's fairly easy to find like you can get criterion collection copies and stuff, oh brilliant know. so a recognized <laughs> classic yeah um, for sure eh? 
I guess, like, those are the last major films I really wanted to mention, but... Yeah, well, I've just finished rolling my zoo, so I, I, you know, I'm happy to wrap up now, but there's one more film I want to mention. I just want to... Not a good one. Not a recommendation. Okay. I just want to really shit on this film before we finish. (laughs) I'm your humble steward, your deliverer of hard truths. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. Bring me your overtaxed, your underlaid, your put down, your fed up. Bring me your rage. Um, I watched a film which, I mean, had been universally negatively reviewed, so it's my own stupid fucking fault. <laughs> I sometimes do that, yeah. I hate yeah. watch, you know? <laughs> you, you, or even you're just kind of like, well, maybe they're wrong. You know, yeah, Maybe everyone sure. has just got some fucking prejudice in their head about like, this movie. I don't think McGruber was that highly rated, was it? Like, it was uh, not, but that's a masterpiece. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> okay, so go on. <laughs> the film I watched was called Hot Air, and it stars Steve Coogan, British actor Steve Coogan, as a yeah. American right-wing talk show. Yeah. Uh, talk radio host so so steve coogan does the worst accent i've ever heard as, as this like fox news style shock jock how do you sleep at night on a mattress stuffed with cash and the broken dreams of hillary clinton he more i guess like rush limbaugh style but he's like so bad in it it is a shockingly terrible accent i'm sure <laughs> steve coogan has played americans before I'm I'm certain that there will be films where he is less egregiously bad, but it is really an all over the map accent. I don't know who or what he's supposed to sound like, what part of America uh, the character is supposed to be from. But yeah, no, it's, right. I think I'm pretty sure actually in most of the decent films Coogan's done, he does an English accent. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like he's been in American films, but I'm pretty sure he's usually a British guy. Yeah, yeah, like uh, the other guys, he's British yeah. in that. Tropic Thunder, he, he's funny in that, and he's British in that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah, st- stick away from the American accents, I'd say, Steve, really. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so... What did you say this was called? It's called Hot Air. Man, it is shocking. So, right, if you were yeah, to It's make, a bunch of hot air. It is really... <laughs> that's generous. So, like, if you were to make a film about a right-wing talk show host. How would you, Mr. Yair Rice, approach it? Huh, I mean... A comedy, let's... Yeah, it would have to be a comedy. Yeah, Yeah. satire. Um, Okay, this isn't a satire. Is this a a drama? No, it's a a comedy, I'd say. Not a good one, but it's it's a comedy. Um, But it's a feel-good comedy. It's a feel-good comedy for all the family, about the guy learning to appreciate the finer things in life, uh, as in family, love, not being a cunt to everyone, that kind of... Oh, and also free and open debate, you know, learning to listen to people with... So it's politically absolute shite? It is... There are no politics. It is not politically anything. (laughs) Their politics is nothing but a backdrop. It's like one of the, the the non-political films with a wartime setting. In this case, the war is the discourse war in America, the great raging culture war that has been going on, on on airwaves for many years. They make nothing of it. Politics barely features. Uh, the fact that he has these right-wing politics, that, that's not portrayed as the problem. The problem is that he's a prick about it. You know, <laughs> right? So, uh, and and his what the fu- his 
is it his daughter? No, it's his niece. His niece, who basically his sister is like a junkie, and her niece, who's like a, you know, like a, a mixed race girl. So you know, right, right, right from the start, it's kind of like, hey, look, he's not racist. Look, he likes. He's got a begrudging respect for this precocious. 16 year old girl who is related to him and isn't white so look it's not like that's an actual <laughs> problem for him um well it's like dick cheney had a lesbian daughter oh well exactly yes <laughs> uh, vice helpfully showed us actually before we wrap up i'll let you say a few words on what you thought on vice but like um <laughs> yeah it's so bad and so inept like really what the fuck why would you fucking why would you pick like this inspirational guy learns to value the important things comedy drama about a right-wing talk show host i don't understand merely using politics like this as as to give what is a totally characterization or something it's it just gives something that's utterly generic a kind of patina of meaning and there's there's absolutely nothing to it it's a shocking film, and you know, and Steve Coogan I can't is even find a Wikipedia it. page for it. Well, it was not widely released, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it is on Rotten Tomatoes, where it's got eighteen percent. Well, that's what I'm talking critics. about. U- universally hated by critics for good reason. Oh, surprisingly high, seventy-one percent from audiences. But well, I'm they're guessing fucking they're idiots. Like shitheads. They're, those yeah. people elected Trump, man. <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah, we need to. But, you know, uh, I think elections should be more like an IQ test. Only the this is what got it. Trump elected. This <laughs> yeah, obviously, I don't These think that, that, that stupid people should be barred from voting. I'm not a eugenicist. No. I don't believe in voter <laughs> rigging, vote rigging, or anything. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I yeah. So we talked last week on the show about Vice, which I had seen then. Now you have seen. Let's make the final thing we talk about your thoughts on Vice. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I definitely think it was. It wasn't as good as uh, as past films like The Other Guys and uh, Adam McKay's. Adam, is it? Yeah, yeah, Adam McKay's uh, earlier films, like but the, the early funny I, ones. The yeah, the the, the, the ones that didn't even make pretenses of being serious. Really. Yeah, um, I I feel like he he must have been freer then to, yeah. uh, to make comedy i don't know uh but it it was a very good film i i liked it a lot i'd maybe go as high as four stars on it okay like, it was um i don't know i i it made me realize some, <laughs> some stuff as well like um how long and deeply propaganda kind of affects you like i because mm. I mean, I'm not. I'm definitely not suggesting that it wasn't a tragic event, but like seeing footage of like 9/11 and stuff still you know, ha- triggers in me a, a weird sort of response. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe it's time to ask ourselves the right thing after all. <laughs> Might have been a good thing. Yeah, hot take. <laughs> that's the real 9-11 truth yeah. right there it wasn't a Jewish conspiracy it was me it just, was just, just, me. just the one <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um uh, yeah, anyway. yeah but, but, 
Anyway, my point being... Now we've taped the confession. Uh, just that, as someone who lived through the Bush years uh, <laughs> and remembers them, um, I, I, yeah, it was... It was, it was, this was a much needed film. Yeah. You know, like, I really, really needed to see, uh, George Bush and, uh, of course, uh, fucking Jake Cheney, uh, who's the actual protagonist, uh, and, and Donald Rumsfeld and all these other people. I needed to see them all getting, like, taken down a peg. Yeah. Uh, and just ruthlessly mocked, uh, like, uh, uh, with, historicity behind it as well you know like (laughs) it's not just jokes made up for fun like this is reality to a large degree they play it as comedy a bit oh yeah but but it's it's adam it's a very funny film it It is yeah Yeah. there was definitely times that i was howling with laughter um and there was times editing the last episode putting in those clips that I was howling with laughter, like, this is such a good moment. Oh, yeah. Love yeah. it, love it. Well, you know, I, I think I said this. I maybe wasn't quite as glowing about it as you, but I said on the last episode that I thought that it it was a valuable corrective to this uh, whitewashing mm. of the Bush administration. Yeah, the, the post-Trump sort of. Exactly. Yeah. You need an antidote to that kind of stuff. And this film has sort of provided that instead of being like, <laughs> hey, we're all decent. We're all wanting to do the right thing. Let's put our differences aside and unite with uh, the people who did the Iraq war against Donald Trump. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, I, I really loved in the middle when it was like just before the W. Bush years and the film just stops. And, it's yeah. like, and, and Dick Cheney was never involved in politics again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he didn't sell out his daughter uh, yeah. and all this other stuff. And then the credits roll and it's like, oh, wait, no, no, no. <laughs> We're about to get to the juicy stuff. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? But for Adam McKay really hates dick cheney like it is a yeah viscerally... it is not sympathetic at uh, all it really yeah it really like you know that's why i thought that eddie marson quote about how he approached paul wolfowitz as uh you know a good man trying to <laughs> spread democracy yeah. uh, uh you know in what was it promoting democracy in other countries i'm just like yeah. did you not fucking talk to the fucking director did you read your lines? Yeah. <laughs> it's just fucking awful. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, Eddie was like, well, you know, I played Himmler a couple of years ago and I didn't approach <laughs> him as a bad guy either. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's all right then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. To be an liberal. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we've uh, I think we've talked about like a massive range of films today. There's a, a you know, huge loads of stuff. Mm-hmm.